Hello, and welcome to episode 39 of the MBA podcast. Barbara Strain leads our other hosts, Tom Hickey, Skender Derte, and Scott Alexander in the first half of the 2023 conference season. We take a look back at the first half of the year and how to maximize your opportunities in the second half. Listen in and hit subscribe below. everybody. Welcome to the next installment of the MedTechSperts MedTech Business Academy. We're going to talk about meetings to date so far that people have attended in 2023. We're over halfway through. Skinder, what's been your experiences so far this year? I mean, I, I think attendance, uh, clinical attendance at conference is probably slightly up from last year. Uh, last year being a horrible baseline. Uh, let's put it that way, that last year is kind of the, the full return to conference. There was very few that occurred in 21, last year being kind of the first full year where it was acceptable and people were eager to get back out there. But it was still a low baseline of, of clinicians, clinician attendance, physician attendance. I think it was a bit, there was a slight uptick this year, but clearly the economic headwinds are impacting it. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it. We're hearing from clinicians left and right. They're, they're not being sponsored to go. Um, the hospitals have realized you don't, we don't need to pay you to go to Las Vegas to get your CE credits. You can find somewhere else to get those. Um, a lot of the conferences are hybrid. So if you really need to see that speaker on the podium in Vegas, you can do so from your couch in St. Louis. Uh, and that should do very well for you. Um, so I think there's been some of the challenge for that you know, I, I, from the med tech perspective, I think there's been an uptick in the number of companies that are just trying to figure things out. I can tell you the mega companies just from the conferences I've been to, and I haven't gone to a HIMSS and RSNAs in the end of the year. So excluding the, 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 you know, three, four that are just gigantic. I can tell you right now, the big companies are all downsizing booth size. Mm-hmm. You know, there isn't there isn't too many of the one city block type of organization that is hosting that. Stryker had a bigger platform at AORN as they always do, but it was probably still smaller than they would have had in 2018 and 2017. Um, so I think that's kind of the trends I'm seeing. So let's go around the horn of those who've gone out. Tom, uh, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, from my perspective, and and I've gone to a couple of surgical conferences this year, and I'm going to use the you know it's the it's the best of times, it's the worst of times, uh, you know, for the large cap organizations that have household brand names, you know, they they seem to get some some good traffic. The uh, smaller startup innovators um, seem to really struggle. Um, and I think some of that is the attendees um, have been told, you know, we can only do so much. We're not spending new money. Um, you know, we're trying to cut costs. We're not trying to increase cost. And that's been drilled into their heads, right? So I went with this one particular conference with a startup company and getting anybody to stop was like pulling teeth. I, I Frankly, I was standing out in the aisle asking them, you know, people walking by if they'd like to see a new innovation, and about nine out of 10 people, you know, 
would say no, <laughs> right? Right? It's like, oh, okay, you know. So it's uh, it's it's interesting, but you know, at the same time, you walk by the big booths with the big brand names, and you know, they're shoulder to shoulder in there. So um, I I think it's the perspective, and then you know, if you are an innovator, you've got to find a really good hook um, to to bring somebody into your booth. Scott, I know you've been out and about and you've got some opinions. What's going on? Yeah, I I wanna I wanna so it's 2023 right now, mid-year 2023. I'm gonna hit the rewind button and we're gonna rewind to 2013. And everyone remember we were all young pups back then, what it was like standing in the booth. You you talk to people all day long, your feet hurt, you maybe got a bunch of leads. On average, how many of those leads turned into anything valuable from the booth? A very, very small percentage, if anything at all, right? So conferences and booth strategy has been bad from a marketing perspective forever, forever. And now fast forward to 2023, where show attendance is a third to 50% of what we've been seeing um, historically. It's spending money and spending time on booze and really sort of focusing in on that is not necessarily the best place to, place to be playing. There are certain areas where you want to, um, right? We find that regional events tend to do better than um, national events. But for the most part, the value that comes from a trade show or from a conference is outside of booth time, right? It's more like catching people for a cup of coffee or a drink after afterwards or um, right, the happy hour that happens that first night. And so I think what what we see working and what we advocate for our clients is to, okay, you ha- you may have to have a booth. We'd recommend smaller, spend less, right? Because again, that ideal location does not actually that ideal from a, a, a true ROI standpoint. But think about how do you start to build those relationships outside of which, um, so coffee, drinks, let's grab lunch, whatever the case might be. I'm going to run into you at the you know, if there's an event or whatever the case might be, like that's that's where the real value is. And so I think the key for today's conference strategy is to figure out how you maximize that. And also know kind of to, to Tom's point, it, we're not spending people are not spending a lot of money. So you really have to have a super strong value proposition and and figure out how you're going to get that that sales cycle going um, afterwards. Well, based on my experience so far, I've been to mostly, I'm gonna just gonna call them more provider facing events, I guess, if you will, more of that reverse auction at auction. Listen to me. I say that every time we're going to have a contest now and we're going (laughs) to offer something we're going to auction off. Uh, Reverse expo situation where, you know, the providers are all in the booths and then it's the the lines that happen and that sort of thing. And you may get a two to five minutes, uh, Providers are usually get a little hourglass and you turn them over and when it runs out, you're out of time and things like that. However, they have been more well attended by providers and not just, you know, maybe a buyer or something from a provider, but they're usually leaders, value analysis, sourcing directors, uh, and others. And so that's been a little bit more, I think, uh, productive in some sense. Um, but it's a different model yeah. than the models where uh, 
you know, somebody has the XYZ conference and everybody is, you know, have to use their monies and from their organizations and they go and they have to spend it. So the models of those reverse expos are a lot different. And actually some of the bigger meetings I've seen are trying to do some sort of speed dating or reverse expo type thing. Uh, but there are still issues. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about other than I'm going to buy a booth, I'm going to stand in the booth all day, I'm going to get these leads, and I'm going to do traditional. So um, Skinder, you want to start this off? Well, what are what are some of the options that are available that you've seen and maybe heard that are working well? You mean within within the booth? Within a conference type situation, what other offerings are there when you're in that setting? Yeah, I mean, you you can always talk about the giveaways um, and and the tried and true methods of that, but even that gets watered down. Uh, there's so many giveaways, you know. There's only so much you can. I mean, people don't get me wrong; people are still crowding around for a free pen because uh, they haven't had one in three years. So, but you know, outside of that. Um, you know, one of the cool things that we saw a company do is recognizing the trying times in the industry and how providers aren't being sponsored as much. They are offering a scholarship um, to attend the conference, but it's not just a scholarship, just, hey, sign up and we'll give you money. It, they actually have to go through a vetting process. They actually have to submit information uh, as to why they belong at the conference. What are the contributions they're going to make to the conference, what are the contributions they've made even to the local chapter of that society? And have they been active? And if so, what are the things that they're going to do while they're at the meeting to make the most of it? And so they, they were doing a good job. And you know, they offered about 18 scholarships to this last conference, had 18 the year before, and just overwhelmingly had a very positive response rate. Their booth was always busy. They're not one of the huge companies. They're 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 middle to large company, but they were always really well attended. And I think it's just looking at the times today and be like, what are the challenges? How do we meet the customer where they are? Yeah, Scott. Yeah, uh, I was gonna piggyback on your reverse expo piece because I I have been the bait um, <laughs> for both Federation and IDN Summit. Um, and, uh, I can tell you it is, it is brutal being in that booth. You know, I've been, I've been on the booth both as a, as a manufacturer with Medtronic and Covidian, and I've been it with, uh, Mercy on the reverse express side. And, um, I think I prefer it on the manufacturer side because I can at least like get away. It's, you know, I got a face for radio, but man, I have never been prettier than when I was standing <laughs> in that booth. People saw, you know, Mercy ROI. They're like, I'm going to talk to that guy. And they'll chase you down the hall. Um, if you're going to one of those, I do think that there's a lot of value in them. If you're going to one of those, just bear in mind who you're talking to and the fact that they have had 637 three-minute conversations with everybody else under the sun. and I will tell you, and, and no, no offense to to anyone, right? IDN Summit, great organization, federation, amazing people, all this kind of stuff. But oftentimes, the people that are standing in line to talk to you are not the people that you want to talk to, right? And so, um, 
that's something to bear in mind is you're, I'm sure you're not the, if you're listening and you're saying, Hey, I'm going to go catch somebody. I didn't somebody, you're not that person I'm talking about. You're amazing and handsome and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. But, um, bear in mind that there's just a flood of information. And so be, be brief, be clear, and then be gone. And it's, I think that's the thing to do is you're really just trying to establish like drop a pin and Hey, this is what we're doing. Why I think it's important. Can we schedule some time? When we get back, by the way, if you have your calendar, can we do it now? If not, no worries. By the way, I'd love to grab, you know, buy you a drink at the bar. Like that, that is the, a winning strategy um, because you're trying to not be, you know, overly. Um, I mean, you don't like it when somebody comes and details a 10 page binder. So goes true story, through. true story. We had a guy, I have two, I have two, one, two stories and I don't remember their names. So please don't come after me with your lawyers. The first one, they sold synchronized clocks. And um, so here, here was their entire value proposition. And it was like the guy would literally not leave. It was like, hey, there may be an issue if your people are trying to save somebody. You know, there's a patient coding on the table. and They're doing all this kind of stuff. And they record a time of death at 3.54 p.m. And then uh, because they look up at the wall, the, the clock on the wall and they see it's 3.54. And then somebody else sees a different clock and record some activity at 357, right? In, injecting fill in the blank to do whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you may not get paid. Theoretically, you may not get paid from uh, from insurance for that. And I'm like, that is, and it was 10 pages of like, and then this, and then and so that, and then I had a guy come in with Tinker Toys one time and um, I'm an innovation guy. Like I love hearing cool ideas and that sort of thing. I have no clue what this dude was talking about. It basically was like, hey, you're going to get Mercy to go buy some medical device company, like like com- uh, commodity type stuff, private label stuff. And then you're going to use it. And that's how you're going to pay the company and the value of the company goes up. And um, because you get you bring this sequestered business to it and then we get paid too. And I'm like, I have no idea. But why are you bringing Tinker Toys in? So anyway, it was- The circles and the lines coming yeah. out. How did, I don't understand how to- Yes. Wow. And- and in fact, he uh, this guy talked to my boss uh, at the time uh, when I was at Mercy, and uh, my boss was like, "This is absolutely bananas. You need to go talk to Scott." And uh, so, thanks, Gene. Appreciate that. I know exactly where if to send. If anyone could understand that, it might be Scott, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, he was just being he was he was poking me. But uh, kidding aside, and my my PTSD out of the out of the window, I think smaller events are better. Right, regional events are actually working really well. Um, they're smaller, they're more intimate. It's it's where a lot of people haven't gone. So if you're Medtronic, right, you got this massive sales team. You can't do all the regional events, so you're going to really kind of focus in on the big events. Um, but if you are in Virginia, right, and you can go to the Virginia State, you know, chapter of AVAP or you name it, like there you're going to be able to get a lot more uh, FaceTime with people. And that's really what you're looking for is you're looking for that FaceTime piece. Mm-hmm. So I, I love the idea of scholarships, but I also love the idea of going regional um, to try and build those kinds of relationships. I would huh. uh, build on that um, by using the phrase, you know, elegant networking. And and what I mean by that is, you know, it's kind of salespersonship 101, Right, because you know, as we come out of our sales programs, whatever they are, you know, we we learn about the elevator pitch, right? That thirty second thing, but it's really not talking about your company. 
right? When you see those individuals and, you know, to the point brought up earlier, you know, when you're walking around or somebody comes to your booth, it's really not talking about your product. It's really talking about what's going on with that provider or that clinician, right? So you really have to be situationally aware when you're doing that networking and be ready to take a lot of notes for yourself, right? Because every situation, you know, we've talked about this dozens of times, but every facility has got something different going on. And you've got to put that detective hat on, you know, ask a lot of questions, listen, and, and do it in an engaging way, right? Because you don't want to put people off because you're in a social situation, you know, and you want to, you know, have drill your sales team on here's the types of questions you want to ask here's the type of individual you want to engage it's not you know this big you know uh, just you know spew out all the company data it's really you know taking that time to understand what's going on with that particular individual and, and engage them and then i think scott you will get that coffee or you will get that lunch because now you've offered something of value and you've, you've you really hopefully have made that connection So I've been really pushing focus groups with a lot of my clients. Uh, If you look at, so have I. You have (laughs) with Barbara's clients. (laughs) But the thing of it is, is that I go on meetings, you know, because there's tons of them going on. I think they're all in one city this year, but. you look at the meeting schedule, you can get down into nitty gritty of all the other things that are offered. And if there's the opportunity for a focus group or some sort of a a networking opportunity that's being offered specially or whatever, please take advantage of it. Because whether you're large or small, uh, for really not much money, you can curate your own sort of group that you want to sit with because you're going to have access Mm -hmm. to those provider organizations are going to be there. You also will have access to all of the other suppliers that are offering products or services. So you know who your competition is, what you really need to focus on and things. But in like just a breakfast session that can be even less than an hour, you're going to get some key things just by putting a product or putting that service in front of people who are either decision makers or they're the key clinical folks or even non-clinical, depending on what the meeting's about or whatever, they're going to tell you what's really good about your product, what maybe you should tweak, what you're really concerned about. So you're really going to get after that. And if you do it and they offer it early enough in that live meeting, then you're going to be able to take those questions and concerns and start those conversations like Tom and others were just talking about and saying, you know, I heard about this. Is that what you're really concerned about? Because we weren't really aware of that or That's not really come up much before, but I'm hearing a lot about that. So look at all of the options at all of these meetings. Oh, yeah. So I I agree with that, Barbara. Take advantage of it. Like, I mean, you know, it's rare that you have an opportunity to have so many customers under one roof. Um, So you need to take as much advantage of that as possible. The only challenge that I have to that philosophy is we live in a digital world. 
And so with that digital world mindset is the idea that you can get in front of customers more frequently now than you ever can. And so you have to be, and we talk to our clients about this all the time, be careful not to fall into the 1992 trappings, uh, yeah. circling the conference in November on the calendar. And that's when we're going to do our product launch, our product feedback, mm-hmm. our focus group. That's when it's all going to happen. You know, that's that's a 1990s philosophy. Can you do all that while you're there? And should you do all that? Yeah. But that shouldn't be the launch point and the only time you do that. No. That now has to be part of a sequence. I thought, yeah. first of all, the dramatic pause was awesome. Oh, so, I, I like that because because yeah. yeah. digital is really where it is. And and I didn't take any offense to the pause whatsoever. The pause happened because yeah. GPS truck showed up and the dog. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> uh, well, at least a UPS truck showed up, right? They, they might not in the future. They might not next week. You're right. No, we might be streaming old things on TV and not having UPS delivery. So anyway, yeah. but the thing of it is, is that there's a time and a place for everything. And you have to be aware of what are all the options available. Yeah, you're right. You don't wait for, but I have had early uh Clients in early stage development who really aren't at that point where they're circling it on their calendar, they're still getting feedback because they're still, even though it's an FDA approved thing, they're still making these tweaks because you've got to get that feedback from actual users across the spectrum. So I like quotes. Abraham Lincoln had a, um, a quote that said, if you give me six hours to chop down a tree, I'll spend the first four sharpening my axe. Right. So the whole idea is the better your axe is, the easier it is to chop down that tree. And I think I'm just I'm using this as a way to to back you up, Skender and Barbara, to say you there's not a company here of our of our audience that would not benefit from more market research. And it's just like it's the reality of of what it is. And it's often really difficult for companies to spend whatever an engagement is to get that kind of insight, but it it pays itself off like nothing else. Because, and Skander, you and I were talking um, earlier in the day about the client. I don't know, do you want to maybe, do you want to tell that story or is that proprietary? Uh, I'll let you tell the story because I, I don't remember. Oh, it's, it's the one about bringing the clinicians in to the sales call. Oh, yes. Yes. It was sales training. Sales training. Yep. Um, yeah, it was sales training. We, we just, we, we did a sales training uh, with a client, they asked us to uh, bring clinicians in to be part of the sales training process for their new sales team. And essentially, in so doing, there was so much feedback directly from those clinicians. Really, I don't understand why. Why are you telling them to say this? Or why does that even matter? Why? Why is that a point of of exclamation? Why are you accentuating that product? That 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 one key point that doesn't matter to us. Mm-hmm. And the feedback mm-hmm. we received from the client that four days of sales training with them was worth infinitely more than they could have asked for previously, because it was like they were going through sales with the customer right there to tell them, you know, this is not going to work. Yep. Yeah, that that kind of circles back to, you know, kind of my earlier point too, about, you know, making sure you understand what's number one relevant to that particular customer. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering, you know, what you all might think about 
something I've been seeing as a trend. Sometimes when I talk to um, a clinician about a new technology, at first it just seems so overwhelming to them. Of oh my god, I gotta you know you know try to change you know insert IDN name here, and you know this is a huge battleship. But I've found that trying to really boil things down to the lowest common denominator. For instance, instead of, hey, let's try to change the whole university health system. How about if it's an infection control product? How about if we look at maybe doing something for your isolation rooms? You know, kind of, you know, that whole niching and niching down again and try to get that little small victory. Mm -hmm. You know, so now we've chunked it down so that clinician is like, yeah, you know, that, that might work. And and I might have the bandwidth to be able to do that versus this huge monumental thing. Have any of you kind of experienced that? Oh yeah. Uh, that's um, one of the things, and I don't want to get too deep into the like gyrus marketing sales pitch, but um, one of the, there's only three types of people that can help you grow your business, current and previous customers, active seekers, people are actively looking for a solution and then engageable afflicted. Right. And so people that have a problem and they're not yet looking for a solution. The idea of current and previous customers is such an underutilized focus for marketing and sales. It's like, hey, I just got into IDN X. Dr. Smith is using my problem, my project, the product. We put it on Instagram or LinkedIn and we're high-fiving around the hallways. And then nobody stops to spend the time and say, okay, from a concerted strategic perspective, how do we get as much depth? into St. Somewhere Health System, because we have Dr. Smith doing it. What are the do- What are the other docs? Who else do we go, and go after? That sort of thing. And to me, absolutely. We sh- you should be diving as deep and filling the, the walls with your product to the extent that you can. Um, exactly to your point, Tom. So I'm going to jump in a little bit there is if there was value analysis there, (laughs) they're actually helping to do that aspect. And they might suggest themselves, let's try it in this one particular unit. And they go to that unit manager, you know, internally to say, hey, we have an opportunity here. We think it might help but we think that you're the perfect area because of X, Y, and Z. This is a value analysis person internally. And then you get your internal sort of champions lined up and it can mean something big for the organization, but you are starting small, both internally within your organization and then for the supplier to you know, try to develop what that niche really is. Yep. So those are really important points, but value analysis helps in, in, in those viewpoints. So I'll wear that hat all day long. Yeah. Um, sales training aspect, I think, is really important. And you that was an excellent thing, Skinder, because it then triggered, and we talked about it very briefly, maybe even in webcast days when we did that a couple of years ago, but human factors engineering When people are starting out with a product, don't assume that it's the best thing out there and it's going to work in every situation and this is the best thing since sliced bread. Human factor engineering. I said that the other day to a group of um, value analysis and, and nurses and they just went wild. They said, absolutely. And now... 
the hospitals themselves are more in support of human factor engineering and putting up their own institutes of human factor engineering. As a matter of fact, they had an issue. One of them described it as a supply issue, brought in the human factors folks, which are, you know, objective because they're not in one particular department or whatever. And they noticed differences with how people were actually handling the product out of the package. And so they were able to, in a very data-driven way, really resolve some issues and things and, and made a potentially, you know, a bad situation into a very good situation that was adopted. So there's a lot of things to, to really look there and, and see what's happening. What other stories and tidbits do we have for our audience today? I want to ask a question about that human factor engineering, Barbara, because I think mm -hmm. that's a good point, you know, and actually tying it back to the sales training piece, mm -hmm. you know, in, in the sense of how can your marketing or sales team try to explain that to a new prospect as to what that difference might be? Would that be in in your from a value analysis uh, perspective having mm -hmm. that right study, or is it you know kind of a hands on thing? How how do you get that point across that you've made some improvements from that human factor engineering standpoint? Well, it, it, that's a really great point because you a you want to learn from it and then you want to exhibit that I made a difference. Now, um, some folks I've been in front of who said because of the material that the device might make, be made out of, it might not be flexible enough or whatever to do what would be best in the situation. So when the company goes back and retools the product and makes it out of either a different material and then puts it back in the hands of folks in a value, in a human factors engineering or some sort of evaluation state and said, yes, this made the real difference. I've been a part of those successful stories like that. It may set the back some of the uh, production of the product or anything, maybe a few months or whatever, depending on what the slight thing might be. But boy, it made the difference between a sale and a no sale and being able to adopt that. But if you know that companies are making their best effort, human factors engineering is basically an evaluation on steroids, if you will. You know, you're bringing it in, uh, you know, it's FDA approved, but you're bringing it in to say, can we have a few of the different disciplines? Maybe you think it works really well in pediatrics because it works well in adults. Mm, that may not be the case, depending on what's going on. So there's a lot of uh, good efforts there. I've actually been part of national sales meetings where they've brought me in as a as an advisor, uh, giving them information like that for one of my clients. And uh, the sales training aspect and marketing are key things that you have to say because they should be together. Because it's hard by a third or fourth round of you know talking to people and marketing finally gets to write the material and things. So no, excellent well, point. We, we we support a lot of human factor studies just through our clinical network uh, with our clinicians. And it's always interesting to me 
the amount of companies that rush out mm-hmm. after FDA only to have them come back to us and say, uh, we need uh, 10 left-handed female orthopedic surgeons. Uh, it's because they found out pretty quickly that even though it's a small cohort, it is unusable by the left-handed female cohort orthopedic surgeon. We had a situation a few months ago where a company asked us to find <clears throat> only colorblind uh, knee replacement surgeons because apparently they had a huge interface and had all these signals flashing on the screen. And a number of surgeons were like, I don't see any signal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Interesting. You know, uh, so it's kind of like, those are some things that you should be thinking about maybe a little bit earlier. Yeah. And, and I think that's where the digital, you know, virtual focus groups really come in handy. And where best can you get that is you sign up for a meeting, either as an attendee or getting a booth or something, and you get that whole list and you have it available to you with emails and everything. And you're able to put together, would you be able to be on a 30 minute, you know, virtual focus group or whatever. So coming back full circle with the um, sort of the way that we've been talking about the meetings and things, are there any other ways in which to co-opt the fact that you've set aside money? There's an interesting concept is people make budgets at companies long in advance about we're going to go to this meeting, this meeting, this meeting, and we're going to invest in this much marketing to go here and there, or we're going to do virtual this and that. Then all of a sudden, one or two new meetings show up on uh, professional calendars that you've never seen before. And that's been happening a lot lately. And then there's the dilemma. Do I go or not go? Any advice to folks that you might give clients? Yeah, I think in general, um, it's it's best go as an attendee as a, as a first time. If you're not sure, go as an attendee. Because the reality is like, you can talk, you want to be talking to people in the hallway. You want to be um, sort of building those relationships and It's funny because I've been on both sides. I've been a provider and I've been on the manufacturer side. And when, and I'm the same human being, when I have my provider tag on, I can talk to people like it's no big deal. I have my manufacturer tag on and it's like, like I haven't showered in a couple of days. So um, it's a different animal, which is again, why you would want to test something out as a, an attendee and then think about investing. Um, and I would also challenge people, like, think about how do you downgrade your booth? Um, and again, the, the meeting attendee people are going to get mad at me for saying this, but like, what happens if you downgrade your booth from a 20 by 20 to a 20 by 10 or you're a 10 by 10, right? What happens? You, you know that the opportunities have not been good since 2013. So it's not like your your amazing deal volume is going to get cut in half, Instead, so what's going to happen is you're going to spend less money and you're going to be able to go and take that money and find a more efficient way of gathering feedback, getting prospects, things like that. I like digital quite a bit, regional events, other things like that. So that's what I would recommend. And, and Scott, you just stimulated a thought in one of my pet peeves with that, because when I see some of these booths, I think booth design is subtle. But if you're going to do that, it has a huge impact. I can't tell you how many shows I go to, right? It's a 10 by 10 booth. They have the yep. big high top table in front. 
mm-hmm. with a couple of people in suits sitting behind that. And, and it's like uh, this huge unwelcoming barrier yeah. to engage in conversation. Mm-hmm. I've always liked, you know, either get rid of that big table, yep. right? Uh, or put it to the back and, you know, try to welcome people into your area of conversation instead of having this this wall of demarcation right between the aisle and your booth. And it's it's remarkable how many times I see that. And, you know, I've gone as, as a, just an attend or a, a guest of one of the companies and I'm like, can we move this table out of the way or get rid of it? And people are looking at me like I'm from Mars, but it's like, you know, we want people to walk in. We want to be friendly, right? Yeah. You know, and, and yeah, we're not going to be able to sit down, but yeah. we really shouldn't be sitting down anyway. Um, so anyway, uh, sorry about that, but you just stimulated a pet peeve of mine. Get on. The other thing is drink a bunch of Red Bull or something <laughs> so you're actually engaging. Yeah. Uh, right. You know, you walk by and it's like some dude's down looking at his phone behind that high top table. And yeah. You're like, what are you doing, buddy? Like, yeah. just go to the, go to the bar. I purposely go up to those folks. Do you, Barbara, do you just do it to, to mess with them? To give them a little lesson. I'm always trying to be teaching <laughs> so as I'm out there but that's a really a better good person point. than I am is is I I, I would be like go to the bar or something maybe maybe I'm a better person because I buy them a drink but um I can't imagine Scott on Red Bull but anyway yeah right, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. yeah no that's really great Tom and I think we should all go into a, like a new side business of booth design for success that's always been a, a huge issue of mine you know yep. and then having the right question right you, you know I've I've been at a lot of booths and you know, people, you know, a clinician walks up and they say, can I help you? Right. I mean, what a, what a silly question. Right. And it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, no, sir, ma'am, I'm fine. I got here. Okay. But you know, it's more of having that right question or that right Mm -hmm. engagement of getting that individual interested and then wanting to walk in and learn more. Um, Yeah. It's almost like a date, you know, mm -hmm. when you're not sure what to say on a first date, it's that sort of thing is, and Someone would have some people. I just want to say, and that's your first line. Yeah, right. You know, uh, yeah. it's all very interesting. And they look at you, they kind of judge you a little bit like, I don't know if you're really serious or not. So I don't know how engaging I am going to be with you sometimes. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And just something simple of, you know, are you familiar with XYZ company? Mm-hmm. Right. And people go yes or no. Right. And it's like, you know, well, hey, can I show you something new and innovative? I'd like your opinion on it. Right. So, yeah, you know, opinions just, are great. Just, you know, or we've got a new idea. Can I share it with mm-hmm. you? You know, just something to start that that mm-hmm. dialogue. I mean, everybody wants to hear about a new idea. Right. Mm-hmm. It could be the worst idea, but you still want to hear about it. Right. So th- those are just a couple little simple you know, recommendations right. when, you're, when you're working in those areas. So let's start wrapping up a little bit. What are some highlights that you want to leave with our MedTech audience about uh, what they should do at meetings or not meetings or whatever? Skinder? I mean, the first thing I would say is I don't think abandoning trade shows is necessarily the right strategy, but I think downsizing, downsizing your expectations and finding a way to make the trade show part of your means to an end as opposed to the end to your means, I think that is the right strategy. And that's a reversal of thought from the early 2000s period. It just needs to be part and parcel of your strategy. Don't circle it on a map. Don't wait for it. Don't wait for it to talk to people. Talk to people now. Launch your product early. Go do all the stuff you need to do now. There are so many avenues with with which you can connect with customers. 
and and find find help where you can, but don't mm-hmm. wait. Scott. Hey, amen to that. <clears throat> I mean, I think we're in a place now where, and again, we see this with all of our clients every day. They're having conversations with their prospects today and yesterday and then next Monday. And you can think about that either in terms of axe sharpening market research of like, hey, I just want to talk to people to try and get a sense of what's going on or like straight up lead gen, demand generation, that sort of thing. Um, and so you no longer really need to to live or die by the trade show world. Do you need to be there? Maybe. I don't know. Again, we'll say we'll say yes. But um, I would say probably different than how it was back in 1992. But, but you can actually get in contact with your prospects on any given day and um, contest things and get feedback in a way that's much more iterative. Like if anybody's ever done software development, like this is agile marketing, right? You're able to change things on the fly. So I think, I think that's number one. Um, I think looking at smaller events and things like that, where you can be more intimate is, is important. And then sort of the last thing that I would say is um, it's worthwhile figuring out who's going to be at a trade show and set up coffee, breakfast, brunch, lunch, first supper, second supper, whatever it is, like, Find ways to sit down with people in a more uh, one-on-one or more casual environment. Um, and because that's really where the value comes from these trade shows is just being able to be in the same room with somebody. So those are the three things that I would think about. Um, I would add, you know, the old statement of uh, be prepared, right? It, to Scott's point, think about your audience, you know, have those right questions in your mind, be ready to have those those conversations, whether you have a booth or not. And then just some real simple things like helping them hit the easy button, you know, reimagine your business card, maybe having a QR code on your business card so they can easily get to your website, easily understand what you're talking about right there, right now, right? So you're not fumbling around with some things and and helping them, helping your potential client learn more about your organization and and start to uh, create that interest for that, that next discussion. So you just started to jump in, and I know that I've already talked and I should shut up, but um, Tom, you triggered something in my head, and I think it's a really, we do QR code, we do a lot of business cards for people, obviously, um, and we do QR codes on business cards because it's the right thing to do. But what we ought to do is we should take that QR code and drive it to a landing page mm-hmm. that's like, hey, you know, message from the CEO, thanks for doing this, here's who we are, what we're about, and by the way, here's a link to the broader website, but but some sort of personalized thing. I think that's, we may test that out on some people. So yeah, that's cool. Well, you you said a key word. My my last few points is kind of ties to that personalization. It's kind Mm -hmm. of what we've been talking about. Know who you're talking to, you know, personalize those message. But one of the things I think that's really important is once you're either in the atmosphere, first day, whatever it is, recognize what's going on around you. You can get sort of a good feeling of the culture of the meeting, what's going to work in things, adapt, uh, change things around, uh, you know, do things a little differently uh, while you're there, and then take a lot of copious notes and things about that and share it when you get back to, uh, you know, your colleagues in uh, at your business and things. But I think it's just personalizing and recognizing and, and adapting to really what's going on. Well, want to thank Tom and Scott and Skinder today and uh, 
thank you for tuning in to the MedTech Business Academy and tune in next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. We've heard about our host conference experiences in the first half of 2023 and have been provided with strategies to maximize our opportunities in the second half. Recognizing that your audience has been bombarded with information in the exhibit hall, set yourself up for success by scheduling coffees, drinks, or dinners to facilitate the intimate conversations that allow you to give a true understanding of your value of proposition. Thank you again for listening. Hit subscribe below, and we'll see you next week on the MedTech Business Academy.